0: Is loaded one ball, one strike. Hater the set, the kick. Here it comes. Swing and a line drive. Base hit right field. Tanner scores for third. Hi there, and welcome to a special National League Division Series and Wild Card Wrap-Up Edition of the RashCast with Jake and John. I'm Jake. And I'm John. So that sound you just heard introing us in, that was Charlie Slows' call of Juan Soto's three-run, we'll call it a three-run single, with the bases loaded yesterday in the bottom of the eighth inning, the Nationals down... 3-1, 3-1, Soto comes through against Josh Hader, the best left-handed reliever in baseball, give or take in this Chapman. Lines a single to right, takes a weird hop away from Trent Grisham, who charges aggressively. The Nationals take the 4-3 lead. They don't blow it in the ninth, and for once in our postseason lives, the Nationals I don't want to say they won a series. They advance. They they advance. advance. You can't win a series of one. That's that's an octamoron. They advance to the next round. That's that's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. Uh, And, uh, you know, there were a lot of people uh, who went to the game who were, you know, openly weeping, who were showing a lot of emotion, who were really excited. Uh, You know, people who you know if you you know them in real life are not that that type of person uh you know we were going to record last night uh but we didn't because uh it was late and because both of I mean, us I were a, yeah. a little too drunk so yeah both of us were a little bit drunk uh a little too drunk to do it but uh yeah. i'm kind of glad that we didn't apart from the the drunkenness and the slurring words, because that may not have made great podcasting, No, uh, but uh, I'm glad that we didn't. Cause it gave me some time to sort of reflect on how I feel about that game. Uh, you know, it's not really an experience that I, you know, I'm not a caps fan. I, I'm, you know, indifferent to the caps. I, I, nothing against them. Lots of people like hockey. I'm just not one of them, but, uh, you know, I've, I've never experienced that kind of, you know, and and the thing that the playoffs give you that regular season baseball can't is that sort of collective tension, the collective release and the collective elation that comes from the collective tension. Uh, and that, that experience just like Watching the crowd erupt, watching everybody go insane, watching, you know, people just be deliriously happy. It was, I mean, it's a reminder of why we watch sports, uh, and it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, no, I definitely. I mean, for me, what that game represented was just a, kind of this weight off of so many shoulders. You know, from the fans to the players. And even though, you know, the team from 2012 to today is completely different. You know, and every iteration is a completely different team. There's always that monkey on our backs where, you know, come game set, game, come clinching game, the team played like they weren't loose. They played like they were tight. They played, you know, like they knew they were going to lose the game. And even when they go up big, then the things they, get, they think about and they get in their own heads. And, you know, you kind of saw that for the first seven innings. Or at least just after the Yasmani Grandal homer. Yeah. Because that really just took the air out of the stadium so quickly. And Although, just, to give credit to the crowd, they didn't shut up after that. They were very loud. They cheered. They I mean, there were very few opportunities for them to get really loud. There weren't even any real rallies uh, the Nets had three hits through seven, but yeah. uh, you know, they did a very good job, the crowd did, of staying in the game. Yeah, and this goes, but this goes to something I said in the last episode of the podcast about this team, is how they can score runs very quickly. And with this team, you never really feel you're out of it. And that's what happened last night. Last night, they were able to score three runs in one swing in a blink of an eye they were able to turn a cricket number and Um, take the lead. It was all like – I mean, this game is, you know, modern baseball, 2019 baseball, it's all home runs, all sort of sit around and wait for the three-run homer. But the Nats played very small ball in the -hmm. the eighth inning. Uh, I mean, that that eighth inning was so well put together. Just, you know, Taylor – Working a great at-bat, working the hit-by-pitch, you know, it's too close to tell. I think the ball got bare, uh, the bottom of the bat, but, you know, it's too close to tell.
1: He I mean, once the, you
0: you can't, if there, you're there a Brewers no, fan, you can't get mad that they didn't reverse that call. There's no conclusive evidence that would show that it hit the barrel of the bat definitively. No. And I mean, watch you watch the slow-motion replay... A hundred times. I mean, I guess it's sort of like a Rorschach test where probably Brewers fans see it differently than we do. I think uh, it hit the barrel. I think it hit the bat on the barrel, I mean the knob. I think it hit you the think, knob. You think it hit the knob before it hit him? I think when it came in, it hit the side of the knob, hits his hand, and goes. I uh, See, I think it hit the wrist, then the knob, but I don't know. It, it's just... I'm surprised Taylor didn't get hurt, honestly. He says his hand hurt, uh, yeah. but I guess play the way it play hit him, roster. yeah, I mean, it's you know not to, not to belittle Michael Taylor, but uh, getting on base there was way more important than him coming through that game with a healthy hand. True. Um, I mean, it's, it could be his last good moment for the team. But I digress. Yep. Um, and then Zimmerman just, you know, jammed beyond belief, managing to, to muscle out a blooper into center field, allow, yep. and then Taylor getting third, and then a great at-bat from Anthony Rendon to take the walk. Just sets up a perfect – I mean, one thing about the game is that the team played a clean game. They played a mistake-free game. They played – they didn't give them anything. They didn't give the, the Brewers anything like they had in past games, in, in past elimination games. Where they made an error or a bonehead play, or I mean, the Soto, Toot plan that's not, I'm not counting that. No. But throughout uh, the game, they played a very clean sound game, and you hadn't really seen that from other elimination games. I mean, 2012, Ian Desmond, 2017, uh, Matt Wieders. I mean, kind of every Wieders elimination and Lobatone and, and, and lo- all yeah. of that. I mean, in, in sixteen, they played a pretty clean game five. I mean, I don't. I mean, I keep saying I mean, but uh, they, their offense looked really terrible through seven innings, mm-hmm. uh, and Woodruff was in, like really sharp. I uh, mean, all the all the guys. Promerans looked great. Suter looked great. I mean, Suter looked like you know Suter pitches. You know, junk right. ball. And so but, they took advantage of the one guy who didn't look fantastic. And, and if you look at at Hader, like his command that inning was not great, but the Nats did a phenomenal job laying off pitches.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean they weren't. Know, listen,
0: if you listen to Soto talk about his approach post game, you know his he didn't have the slider. His slider was not there at all. You could see mm-hmm. in the on that um, the first pitch of the slider. Was way outside. That was the second pitch of the at bat, and Soto took it incredibly confidently, and then did the shuffle, which was just awesome. And you know that first pitch fastball, Soto just missed. It was ninety-seven up and away, which is Soto's sweet spot. And then he got that pitch again on strike two, and then he lines it into right field. So Soto had a great approach. I mean, Hater's a high fastball pitcher, and that's where he operates. And he works well when he has the slider to counteract the high fastball. So he had no slider. and so Soto was able to sit on the high fastball and do what he did. So the Nats got, you know, sort of an advantage in that Hayter was working from behind to pretty much every hitter. He went two and zero on Robles. He went two and zero on Taylor. He went three and zero on Rendon. Uh, but to their really great credit, they did not expand the zone. I don't think they swung at a single pitch in that inning that wasn't in the zone. Uh, Turner struck out on a fastball up. Other than yeah, that's right. Turner's third strikeout. Uh, or uh, yeah, yeah. Turner's strike three. But uh, that's just, that's the same as I pitched. Turner struck out on against Hader in uh, that fourteen thirteen. In game. August. Yeah. yeah, I I would make that trade. I, I would. Uh, I mean, they didn't get Hader. I mean, they got him for a run in that game, but they didn't mm-hmm. finish it off. Then they finished it off in this one. So. Oh yeah, uh, they did. I I think uh, I'm okay with that trade. But yeah, I mean they they had very good at bats that inning. They I mean sure they didn't hit other than the Soto ball, they didn't hit anything hard. No. Uh, but they they got traffic on the base paths. They waited for Hader to make a mistake. He made a mistake. And Soto, I mean, that's a left on left matchup that's as hard as you're going to see. And then mm-hmm. Hayter in terms of Velocity in terms of release point, in terms of funkiness of his delivery. I mean, he's the closest thing around to Randy Johnson right now. Uh, and, and the fact that Soto managed to pull an outside pitch like that. You know, Walt, I mean, he, his approach was up the middle left center. The fact that he was able to rope an outside pitch into right like that was just... I mean, that was next level hitting right there. Uh, and in that spot it's just i mean you you don't get you don't get much better at bats than that and and it's important to remind yourself that he's 20 years old yeah uh and that i mean i don't know that he's going to keep improving or you know whatever because he's already such a complete hitter at his age mm-hmm. uh but I mean, we're talking about a guy who could be MVP candidate perennially, perennially, excuse me, for yeah, you know the rest of his career. It's it's a I'm, skill set that ages well. Uh, he's also he's improving defensively. Yeah, I mean, uh, last night though, that one play. I I mean the ball carried way more than I thought it would. I, I can yeah, understand it a that. Tail. It was a, it was a tough it was a tough play. He kept backing up. I mean a better a better left fielder makes that play, but it's excusable. And so, the other person that we, we should probably give some credit to, apart from Juan Soto, the most beautiful boy, is Davy Martinez, mm-hmm. uh, the much maligned Davy Martinez. Uh, so, I'd say the big decision that Martinez made that was a poor one was starting Scherzer over Strasburg. And you have to believe that. 20, 25 of the thirty managers in baseball make that same decision. I'd say I mean, more than that. I'd say twenty-eight of thirty. You know, you have an eight. You have a, Cy, a perennial Cy Young candidate, in Max Scherzer. You know, it's easy for us as fans to sit back and say you should start Strasburg, but people who work in locker rooms, it's different. You know, you listen to, you know, people talk about the game pregame on MLB Network or whatever. And right. everyone was saying you got to start Max. He's your guy. You can't go into the locker room and say I'm not giving you the ball. Well, and and the guy who's a future Hall of Famer, you know, he gives you a psychological advantage. He's your yeah. guy. Exactly. Uh, so I get I get the decision. Uh, and it's hard to say if Scherzer struggled because of injury or if he struggled because of you know him just not being turns out the, the right guy for that environment because he has a tendency to get amped. And when he gets amped, he can't hit his spots with his fastball, even if his fastball is, you know, at average, 97.4 miles an hour, which yeah. is – he's 35 years old coming off a back entry to average that with a fastball. And I think it was 49 fastballs that he threw. It's just mm-hmm. remarkable. I would love if we'd be able to get him a road start. I know we can in the NLDS but I think just on the road he'd play so much better because he wouldn't have that atmosphere around him. He'd be playing in opposing territory where he can kind of control his emotions more. Uh, I just think, you know, if you look at – he's I don't think the only road start he ever made as a Nat in the playoffs was against the Cubs, and he threw six and a thirds, no no-hit innings. Yeah, that is true. So, so I think he just would benefit from just being able to pitch on the road I know in the next round, he's lined up probably to pitch game three. Right. um, You know, depending on what, how how this plays out. And we'll talk about that more in a few minutes, but I think you, if you could get him a road start, if, if, and you know, knock on wood and that's beat the Dodgers, which is, you know, going to take some work. You line them up, you pitch game one or two. Uh, I mean, it, it all depends on who's lined up and, you know, if, God forbid, you know, well, I guess not God forbid. If if they God somehow willing. managed to, yeah, if God willing, I guess is the word I'm looking for. If God willing they managed to get to the NLCS, I mean, you got to look at how how many pitchers they had to pitch and when they had to pitch them. Yeah, but, that's true. Uh, go go I think you're right that in an ideal scenario, Scherzer should pitch on the road. Yeah. Uh, Let's go back but to yeah. Davy a bit. Back to Davey. Uh, so the big decision, in-game decision, that he was really strongly criticized for was the decision to hit Scherzer in the third. And at the time, the Nats were down 3 to nothing. Uh, Scherzer grounded out weakly to second. The next hitter, Turner, hit a home run. Uh, and people were very critical of that. You were and very critical of that, too. I was critical of it at the time. Uh, because I didn't think that Scherzer would be able to get you more outs. Mm-hmm. I think, from the perspective of, you know, if you had a if you had a starter, you know who had fallen behind three to nothing in the first on say a three run homer, but it like struck out the side in the next two innings. Uh, I think it makes sense, and the reason it made sense was for exactly what happened. You know, the, the Nats were going to go to Strasburg when they took Scherzer out, and so. You know, in in the fifth inning, the Nats had another occasion to pinch hit for their starting pitcher, who was still Scherzer at that time. Uh, And the choices, if you had brought Strasburg in in the fourth, were either going to be pinch hit for him and take your chances figuring a way to to get the next four innings, Uh, or... uh, leave him in and waste another at bat. So the the result would have been the same. He would have wasted an at-bat. Uh, right. but Scherzer, uh which I did not expect, but you know, he, he got back up there. He got through the fourth and fifth. Uh he struggled a little bit in the fifth. Uh he walked Grand, uh walked Mustachus, uh, but then got the next two. Uh and, you know, it ended up working out well because yeah. the Nats then did get to pinch it for their, uh, their pitcher in the fifth. Now, there's an argument to be made that, that allowing Zimmerman to face Brent Suter instead of Dozier uh, in the fifth might have produced a better outcome. Uh, uh, I, like, I like that Davey saved him for the biggest moment. That he, like... You know, well, that he was... saved him for, you know, runner-on runner on in the eighth inning. Because, and I, I like how aggressive Davey, Davey wasn't afraid to take Eaton out. You know, especially with Taylor pinch running, it wasn't a hard decision. Uh, but I like how he was willing to play matchups a lot, you know, which is an obvious one. And I like, you know, I don't disagree with starting Scherzer even in, not with hindsight. Because, you know, you start Strasburg, you know, maybe he gives you six innings, seven innings. But let's yeah. say you kind of reverse it, and he doesn't, and he gets you five innings, and he's at like 100 pitches. You know, Then you have to start Scherzer in the pen, and I don't like Scherzer in the pen. I like Strasburg a lot more in the pen. Sure, but on the other hand, Strasburg is, I mean, as he demonstrated last night, Strasburg was the better option to get you out. I mean, yeah. that, was, that was clear from how Strasburg pitched versus how Scherzer pitched. Strasburg I, didn't look... Two amp by the moment his fastball velocity was up a little bit, but he was under control. He was hitting spots, he was hitting spots, and this is something that Scherzer really did not do. He was hitting spots with his off-speed pitch. I mean, mm-hmm. Scherz, Strasburg was dotting corners with the curveball. Yeah. Uh, so the argument in favor of Strasburg, not in hindsight, is obviously that he was your better pitcher, and that say the Nats don't go down two nothing, two batters into the game. Uh, you know, you you can say of momentum what you will. In baseball, but I I honestly feel as though the the Nats' offense was hampered by the fact that I agree you know, they they'd gone down early. I agree. Uh, and with the credit is credit, you know, the Nats saw a moment of strike and they struck. So, they did, and, they're, and going, now they're going They're going to, to Los LA. Angeles. Right. And so on that mo- note, let's move on to. A uh, preview of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, now, this is, you know, the Dodgers had another great season. 100-plus uh, game wins again. Uh, 106. Well, not again. You know, two out of every three years. Right. Um, so, and, I mean, I'm, they're, the Dodgers are the best team in the NL, arguably the best team in baseball. But I think this Nationals team matches up well against them. We have similar strengths in our starting pitching and in our lineups. Bullpens are both weaknesses for both teams, and now our bullpen is worse. But I think our lineup is comparable, if not slightly better. And I think our rotation is comparable, if not slightly, you know, maybe slightly worse. But it's hard to hard to judge those two. So, so I would say this. that The – Dodgers have a lot of strength in their interchangeable parts in their lineup. They've got a lot of hitters who sit somewhere in that 115 to 130 OPS plus range. The kinds of players who are maybe not superstars, but hit at a very high level. Uh, Apart from Bellinger, they don't have... They don't have anyone to match the the firepower of the three-four that the Nats have. The Nats have, you know, you know the the Dodgers have Bellinger, but the Nats in Rendon and Soto have better have two better hitters than the top two hitters that the Dodgers have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the point here is that the Dodgers have a lot of above-average talent offensively, uh, but. They don't have a ton of superstars, uh, so it's not a lineup that you look at on a daily basis and say, "Jesus, this lineup is impossible." It's a lineup that doesn't have a lot of holes, and it's a lineup that even if players go down, they can compensate for it. But that doesn't yep. really matter that much in a five-game series. No, I mean, so I think you know, David Freeze is expected to play, um, which is always terrifying in the playoffs. But he's expected to get a lot of playing time this, this series and he's been really good with them in his limited time this year. Um so, I mean they got Max Muncy from the left side, they got Cody Bellinger from the left side. Uh, those are their, probably the two best batters. They got Corey Seeger who's been doing really well down the stretch. All lefties. And which brings and me to And they got next Jock point. Peterson who had also been doing very well down the stretch. Exactly. And so that brings me to my next point about the Nationals not using Patrick Corbin. And lining him up to pitch games one and possibly game four or five down the stretch, and I think you know having Max, uh, um Patrick Corbin as your lead guy and the guy who's able to go two sets you up really well against the Dodgers because you know I agree you have you have so many that's a lefty heavy lineup. Peterson's not going to play against the lefty because um, he just he doesn't play against lefties, so they're probably going to put uh, I don't know. They'll probably put like Verdugo or Taylor out Verdugo there. Verdugo is hurt. Uh, Verdugo and is still handed. hurt. Okay, yes. they'll probably put Taylor out there. And, you know, the drop from Peterson in terms of offensive production, in terms of power, is huge. I mean, it's nearly 100 points different in slugging. So, well, even, it, even a lot of their interchangeable pieces, you know, Edwin Rios had a great uh, close to the season once he came up, he's left handed. Gavin Lux is their uber prospect. He's left-handed. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, this team didn't have ridiculous splits, not like the Dodgers of three years ago. They had reasonable splits. There were 50 points in OPS worse against lefties than against righties. But that being said, they have a lot of lefties, and a lot of those lefties hit well against lefties. But Patrick Corbin dominates lefties. Yes. So it's it, it's not as though all lefties are created equal. Some left-handed pitchers have more ridiculous platoon splits, and then, and Corbin, although he does perfectly fine against righties, he really dominates left-handed pitching or left-handed mm-hmm. hitting. I mean, uh, yep. and the idea, and he, he dominates the Dodgers as well, especially over the past two years. Uh, this year, he threw seven shutout in Dodgers Stadium. Uh, and so, the idea of having Stra- or Corbin, who was extremely good this year, who the gap between Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin is not that wide. Uh, the idea of having Corbin start two games in this series is not terrifying in the least. No. I mean, I, I think it's optimal, honestly. Yeah. I think you could definitely make an argument that that making sure that Corbin got two starts in this series was the I mean, the optimal way to go. Yeah. So, you know, you look at Corbin game one, then if the Nats win that game, you can take it a little bit easier game two and start Anibal Sanchez. Um, And that's not a bad consolation. I mean, Anibal Sanchez has, you know, is a lot of postseason and pedigree. He's experienced. I don't think he's the type of guy who lets the big moment get to him. Um, Just speaking in platitudes. Um, Right. He, I mean, he has a career three twelve ERA in the postseason. Um, so he, I having him back up Corbin in, in a win is great. But if you lose Game One, you can use Strasburg as a starter because he he would still be available possibly if you needed him. And I think it, it would be. It depends on how he feels. Uh, so he threw thirty four pitches yesterday which is obviously not a lot of pitches. He no, also ad- threw. It's about a that? bullpen session. It's a little more than a bullpen session. considering It's like 35, 40. It's not just the pitches. It's it also seems- the pitches he threw to get into the game. Exactly. Okay, I mean, yeah. Because he, because he's a starter, mm-hmm. he has a longer lead time and he was warming up seemingly throughout the entirety of the fifth inning before he came in. Yeah. Uh, so you got to imagine that that took a while. Uh, so and it's not just that, it's also the fact that he, you know he's never done this before. And starting on Friday for game two would be starting on two days rest, which he's never done before. It wouldn't be starting on two days rest after a full complete start, but you know, Strasbourg has credited his health this year to maintaining a routine. Uh, and this is obviously something that would throw him off that routine. So mm. you've you got to be – you've got to make sure that he's honest with you about how he's feeling because you know that Strasburg's going to want to take the ball if the Nets lose game one. But uh, Sanchez in game two is not such a terrible thing. No. Uh The, the one real benefit to Strasburg – in game two is that then he would give you the option to go either him or Corbin in game five. Uh, the other I mean, big, I mean, yeah, the piggyback other back them. piggyback them, put one in the bullpen, figure out, you know, if Corbin needs to get big outs in the, the fifth game. The, yep. the one drawback then of not pitching him in game two is that, you'd have to decide which of him or Scherzer would get the start in game three, which would then raise the question, you know, in a, in a possible game five, whoever pitches game four is not going to be available in a winner-take-all game.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I mean, this is obviously getting way ahead of ourselves here. Because yeah. the Nets, Nets have to win two games to get it to a game five. But uh, I mean, it's just a, a matter of planning longer term for the the playoff series. And I would say that making sure Strasburg is fully effective for his start is more important than rushing him back for this game too, even if they lose game one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, another thing to consider um, is the fact that, as I said before, is that – and this is, again, getting ahead of ourselves, something you said that made me think of this – is if Strasbourg would have pitched, if you're deciding Scherzer Strasbourg game three, and you know, depending on where the series was, having Strasbourg again available out of the bullpen in game five, where he did so well already. Right. Is something to consider. Well that's what I I mean you would have to make the, that was what I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. That I mean you'd have to make the decision about Who you'd want you know, available game five. Who you'd want game three so that I mean, yeah. You make the decision in who starts game three based on who you want available in game five. Uh, I mean it's. The Nets have four very good starting pitchers. They're advantaged mm-hmm. in that respect. The Dodgers have three very good starting pitchers. Uh, is is Hill gonna Hills gonna pitch Game Four for them? Hill is gonna pitch Game Four. Yeah, Hill is a good. Right. So I mean that's that's gonna be more of a bullpen game. Yeah. Uh, which I, I mean, as you've seen, as you saw yesterday isn't necessarily a kiss of death. Uh, I mean, mean, as Johnny brought up last week, maybe doing two bullpen games might be more difficult to sustain. Maybe doing what the Brewers did last year where they had either bullpen games or short starts, even by their, you know, so-called ace, Jolie Chassin, who is now off the team. Uh, you know, maybe that might be a drain, but the Dodgers can probably, with the starting pitching depth that they have, mm-hmm. make it through a single bullpen game around. Yep. Uh, but their game one starter, Walker Bueller, uh, was just announced today. Um, will face the Nationals against Patrick Corbin. Uh, Bueller has pitched two times against the Nats this year. His first time out, seven scoreless innings, seven strikeouts at home. In In a game, the Nationals would eventually win on the Horado Par grand slam, right? Um, And then he pitched also in uh, July against the Nats, and the Nats, you know, took care of business against him. Uh, Five and a third, yeah, five and a third, seven runs, uh, four earned, uh, and the Nats won eleven to four. So we've had success against uh, Bueller in the past. You know his most recent start against us. We've seen him two times this year, which I think is a pro for us um, because you see a guy twice, and, and the Nationals especially this year seem like they take some time to get to see a guy um, like a guy they've never seen before. So the Nationals I don't know how much of an advantage that is against a guy like Bueller, who's just got electric stuff. Yeah, I think maybe it would be more of an advantage against a guy like Ryu, who the Nats have also seen twice, and not hit at all twice. Nope. Uh, because a guy like Ryu, you know, he makes his living on sequencing, mm-hmm. uh, and if you can get sort of a a feel for how he sequences, I think that would be more useful than it would be for Bueller. Yeah. But I think you know, I was a little surprised they went with. Uh, Bueller game one um, I assumed it was going to be Ryu and that you can kind of because Ryu and Bueller, I mean Ryu and Kershaw both lefties you right. know k- the in- current iteration of Kershaw is not a, a hard is a soft tosser more or less right. as is Ryu so you know I thought they would break up the two lefties <laughs> with a cha- complete change of pace meanwhile they're stacking them up yeah I mean it doesn't make any sense to me either because you know as we've said, either a one or two or game one or two starter would be available for game five. So even mm-hmm. if you think Bueller is your best starter, which he, you know, arguably is, depending on how much you believe in Ryu, uh, he could still start two games in this series. So yeah. I don't really get the logic, but I mean, I, I don't think it's going to be a huge disadvantage for them. either no It's not a disadvantage anyway. I'm just you know interested. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I'm just saying this is not going to be the thing that makes or breaks this no, no. postseason series. But uh, so, I'm, I'm, my guess is Ryu goes game two, so Ryu versus Undecided, depending on what happens game one. Uh, so that should be... I mean, I'm, I feel a lot better having won a game about going into this than I have in years past, about just this team in general. You know, I feel... I don't know. It could be just that the game hasn't happened yet, or the series isn't here yet. But I feel a lot more less tense going into the series. We have something to cling to now, and I, you know, I asked this question to Twitter, uh, but now I'll ask you. Yes. Uh, if the Nats say lose three straight to the Dodgers, get swept out of the division series, make it no further than they have before, does? yesterday's game still means something to you? I mean, yeah. You look at the other meaningful games in Nats history. You know, the first one that comes to mind is the Jason Worth walk-off home run game. And that game was immediately followed by the worst loss in team history. And so, you know, this game will mean a lot because it meant the first time the Nationals have won an elimination game. and then the first time the Nationals were able to advance. It meant a lot of things because it meant... You know, it was this kind of weird combination of the past Nationals with Ryan Zerman getting a big hit uh, and Steven Strasberg pitching a huge game. And then the right. future with Juan Soto. So it was this kind of, you know, culmination of this team in a moment. And I think it was, you know, you don't know who's back from that, you know, possibly of the people who scored those in that inning or did something that inning. Strasburg could be gone. Zimmerman could be gone. Taylor probably is gone. Rendon might be gone. Yeah. You know, this could, it's just like this one moment with this team that is going to mean a lot no matter what happens because it was well, a win. This, it was a, a win in an elimination game, and it was the first time the Nationals moved on. And this is, and I, I hesitate to say this because I hate these kinds of platitudes, but this is a memorable, special team. And I don't yeah. mean that in the sense of them never saying die or you know staying, staying in, the, in fight. the fight. But it is a, a memorable team. It's an incredibly fun team. I, I mean, this is the most fun team the Nats have ever had. Yeah. And just to, to get a moment like that, to get something that you can put on the back of a scoreboard uh, or, you know. I changed my uh, wallpaper already to Juan Soto, my phone's wallpaper. I mean, that's th- – To get a moment like that, even if it doesn't amount to anything. Frankly, I am, knowing that we got this win makes me a lot less fatalistic. I don't don't think that's the right word. Uh, Makes me a lot less sort of, it's not even terrible. Like, the next series doesn't seem to have the, the weight. That it did exactly. That's why it, what I it, it doesn't. It doesn't feel like a weight around my neck. It feels like you know an opportunity exactly. I guess. And I think Which... it's also that we're the we're the underdogs. It's the fact that you know if the Nats lose this series, you know you want them to win, but they're facing a hundred plus win team who has been to the World Series for the past three years and will probably go there again. You know it's understandable more or less than in years past when they were the heavy favorite and they choked it away. Yeah. I mean, and it's... They're playing with house money, and they're doing... And, they and look they've like been play, playing, they've with, been house playing house money. with house money for four months. Uh, and that's what, what one of the parts of the things that makes this team so fun. Exactly. And they've, been, they've been playing with house money. They've been playing on borrowed time for four months now. They got this win... I mean, again, and I said this last week, you don't want to take this for granted. You know, even if they lose, you don't want to take... You don't want to take this season for granted because there's no guarantee that they're back here next year. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, by the same token, you also don't want to let the, the miserable weight of sort of eight years of expectations come crushing down on a season that has been to this point, very enjoyable. You yeah. don't want to, I mean, even if they don't win the whole thing and you know, I, I didn't pick them to win the whole thing. I, I mean, they can't, this is a very talented team. This team, at least in the national league can compete with any team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think that they're their favorites in this series. Yeah. Uh, but by the same token, it wouldn't be a massive upset if they won it. Yeah, uh, we're not talking about I don't know the the ninety Giants. Reds versus the yeah the fourteen Giants or the ninety Reds or the nineteen fourteen Miracle Braves or anything like that. Uh, but even if they they lose this series and they don't you know break the NLDS streak. This was a good, fun moment as part of a good, fun season. And I don't think it has to be colored negatively by what comes after it. Now, that being said, if something positive comes of it, if they do win the World Series, it'll take on a new, special meaning. mm -hmm. But if they don't, I don't think that delegitimizes or or makes what happened yesterday any less special. Yep. Yep. Well, I think that's a good note to end on. Um, I think so, too. We'll be back before the series is over. Um, We're still deciding either Saturday or Sunday. But uh, hopefully we'll be joyous, you know, like this podcast. Yeah, I think this was kind of fun. This was fun. So we'll see you guys this weekend. Go Nat. See you this weekend. Go Nat.